You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. The grass withers. The flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So as I've said this morning, we begin a few weeks here in the minor prophet book of Habakkuk. You may not have ever spent much time in the book of Habakkuk. It's Like I said, it's only three small chapters in our Old Testament. Um, but I am very excited to get into this book with you this morning. This is a, 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 an astonishing book of the Old Testament, astonishing book of the Bible. The book of Habakkuk has much to say to us today. Now, obviously, I'm in the camp that says the whole Bible has much to say to us today, but the book of Habakkuk does have a, it screams to us a message that is quite counter to our modern expectation. It has a very important idea. The book of Habakkuk is going to challenge us to enlarge our view of God and His purposes. It's going to cause us to raise our eyes a little bit to that there's something bigger going on in life. God is up to something, and at times, it's actually if you were to get a glimpse of what God is doing grand scale, it would provoke in you awe and worship. And this is what happens in Habakkuk's life. He has something he wants to see happen, 
And God shows up, talks to him, reveals what he's doing, and Habakkuk is astonished. He's astounded at this, the largeness of this God and the way that he is working. This really is a part of the challenge to us always when we read the Old Testament. It, you read the, the Old Testament saints and they just have a view of God that is exalted and high and lifted up and they fall down in worship. They fall down in adoration. Um, when, the, when the angels would show up, they'd have to tell the people who were there, fear not because the awe of God just laid them low. Now in contrast, we... Our, our view of God today is much more tamer, much more calm. We, we almost serve more of a, a grandfatherly God who's just kind of in a rocking chair and he can't hear so well. Sorry, grandpas. Uh, I don't mean to be insulting. Yeah, but he, he's getting a little gray, in there, you know, and he kind of half listens and chuckles at everything and likes naughtiness, you know, that sort of thing. There's no real majesty to our God. We've lost the holiness, the majesty of our God. And we, when we come to a book like Habakkuk, we're, we're forced out of this myopic uh, viewpoint, this focused in on ourselves. As a result of our human nature, we are bent in upon ourselves. It's the incurvatus in says, this Latin phrase of the sinfulness of man that we are constantly bent in upon ourselves. We're, we're always navel gazing, looking at ourselves, thinking, what do I want? How do I feel? What do I want to see happen? We're, we're bent in upon ourselves. And this means that we are constantly consumed with questions of how we can get God to conform to our wants and desires. And then our religious experience, our Christianity, largely becomes, how do I talk God into giving me what I want? How do I manipulate God? And this is actually, this is paganism. If you read much Greek uh, mythology, if you read about the Greek gods, you read um, Odysseus or any of those, uh, those Greek stories, they're constantly manipulating the gods. You know, and you'll do a sacrifice or you'll do this great deed. And you, you're, you are constantly trying to manipulate the gods so they'll be in your favor. That is the view we kind of naturally just live with that Christianity then takes on this mindset that our main goal is to somehow just get God to conform to our own wants and desires. Partially that's understandable. We all have wants and desires. We all have things we want to see happen. Habakkuk himself has things he wants to see happen. And many times those things that we want to see happen are in fact good things. There's nothing wrong with them. Habakkuk in his opening plea makes, uh, makes this request of God that he would take action that he thinks, need, that he thinks is needed. But here's the danger. We can get so self-centered that we begin to demand that God doing righteously means that he must conform to my wants and my desires. God is righteous when he does this specific thing that I want to see happen. And if he, does, if he fails to do this, then God is no longer righteous. Well, Habakkuk, if we will listen... If we will listen, Habakkuk will train us instead to conform ourselves to God and his eternal good purposes instead of trying to force God to conform to ours. 
<laughs> if, if, if we will listen to Habakkuk, never mind, I'll tell you what that said. It said this. It said, Habakkuk, if we will listen, will train us instead to conform ourselves to God and his eternal good purposes instead of trying to force God to conform to ours. God is often up to stuff that boggles our minds, that we don't understand. Um, kids, when we moved into the Fisher house, we just kind of, we had a spare bedroom. We had planned on adding to our family. We just kind of painted it brown. I mean, we just kind of took a general brown, and I'm not sure whose bedroom that was growing up, but anyway, it's the one in the corner. We just painted a general brown. It was our guest room. And we added, we got our children, and we kind of just hung pictures up on the walls, but we never changed the paint color. We just left it brown. I don't know why. And so finally one day, just this year, we're like, well, let's change do you guys want to paint your room a certain color? Well, yeah, let's do it. So they went to Southwest Builders, and we picked out our paint colors and uh, bought way too much of one kind and then not enough of another kind. But anyway, that's another story. And they're all excited about, oh, right, we're doing something. And what's the first thing we do? We take all the pictures off the walls. Well, we've just made things worse, have we not? Now we just really have obvious brown walls. Well, then we've hung so much stuff We've plugged so we, we've we've hung so much stuff on the plaster on these walls that now we've just got to take spackling and we've just got we've got all these nail holes and so the kids walk in and their room is missing pictures everything's pulling away from the walls and it's just covered in splotches and you think what are we this is not what I had planned in making my room nicer and often uh, and often when God is working His purposes it looks more like that to us. Things are just, this is not the way I thought this would go. I thought there was this great plan of making my room mine. And all we've done is made my room ugly. And all we've done is ruined things. Now that's obviously, God is, there are many hard uh, things that go on in our lives, far worse than changing, uh, and I'm no stranger to them, that, that, that far worse than just changing our walls and making them worse. But, but we often, at that point, think, you're not doing what I want you to do. You're not bringing me good. You're, this is not the way things should go. And you've got to conform to what I, how I want this to go in order for you to be good. I used this illustration Wednesday night that um, it's like a child that has a broken truck. And, you know, they play, they love this truck, and it's, it's just a dollar store truck or something, you know. But the wheels fell off. It's broken. It's, ir it's unrepairable. And so uh, Grandpa comes in and gives the kid a stack of $100 bills. That's all right. You, I guess Morgan would be a fan of that. I'd be a fan of that. But what, what does that child do when their truck is broken and they get a stack of $100 bills? They continue weeping because they want a new truck, not a stack of paper. They don't want a stack. They don't want this stack. of They want the new truck. They want the new truck. And so often, if, if it doesn't happen the way that we think it should, we think God isn't moving. Well, Habakkuk has much to say that rebukes and encourages us today. But before we get any further into the book of Habakkuk, before we bring Habakkuk to Mount Air, we need to go see where Habakkuk is and where he is living. This book of the Bible is likely written around 2,600 years ago. So we're a little separated from Habakkuk's context. All right? So, I mean, think about 
you know, your life is a drop in the bucket to 2,600 years ago. This is a totally different context. This is way back in the nation of Israel, the nation God's people has already split. There's the ten kingdoms of Israel and the two southern kingdoms uh, down below. That was the nation of Judah. So written way back then, it's, it's about the rise of the Babylonians. The Assyrian Empire has already invaded and has conquered and wiped out the northern tribes of Israel. Those ten tribes are taken away. And all that's left is this southern kingdom, these two tribes left in Israel. Assyria has come and wiped them out. And these two tribes of Israel are left down in the southern kingdom. Josiah is like the last good king. You can read all about this. We're not going to this morning. But you can read all about this in places like 2 Kings chapter 24, if you want to make a note of that to read later, 2 Kings chapter 24, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, Jeremiah, uh, Micah is, is likely a, a, a contemporary of Habakkuk as well, uh, but Jeremiah we know is a contemporary of Habakkuk because Jeremiah was prophesying as the Babylonians come in and Jeremiah gets taken off, I mean, he's, he's in the midst of all of that. So Jeremiah is a contemporary of Habakkuk. Jeremiah has this to say about Jeconiah, who is this last king before the Babylonians come in. And it kind of describes to us what the, the environment Habakkuk is living in. This is the prophecy to the, the king Jeconiah from Jeremiah. He says, this is to all the sons of Josiah. He says this, says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, these are the people of God, remember, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him saying, oh, my brother, or oh, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, oh, Lord, or oh, his majesty. With the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's the king of God's people. That's how bad it has gotten in these southern two kingdoms, that even the king, he's going to get the burial of a donkey. Now, that's not a very good burial, okay? That's not a good way to go out. That is not being honored. That is not being revered. That is to be, to be weighed laced, or laid waste in front of all of, these, of God's people. So all this to say, things are not well in Jerusalem. God's people are in trouble. Not only are the nations around them, these, these Chaldeans, that's another word for the Babylonians, they are coming in, the Assyrians, there's all these nations around them that are plunged into darkness. But not only are they bad, but God's people themselves are rebelling. 
They are not following God's ways. They are not living righteously. They, they too, even as God's chosen people, are abandoning God and his ways. And so Habakkuk opens up with this complaint. Oh Lord, how long will you let this continue? How long will you just let sin abound among your own people? How long, O oh Lord? He, along with the psalmists, many times crying out, How long? How long will you let this continue? There is, by his own words, if you look at the opening of Habakkuk, he says he's looking at iniquity, idly looking at wrong, destruction, violence are before him, strife and contention. The law is paralyzed, meaning that God's righteous command, his righteous rule is of no effect. It doesn't move anybody anymore. The law is paralyzed. It doesn't do any good. There's, there's nothing. God's righteous decree is not accomplishing anything. The law of God's way of doing and being right is paralyzed. It has no effect. The people don't care what God wants. The people don't care what justice demands. In fact, justice is Perverted. Not only do they not care what justice is, but they take the inverse. They take what is unjust and they say that's what should be done. That's what should be done. And Habakkuk is grieved at the state of things and he longs for renewal. Maybe the first takeaway from the book of Habakkuk is this. Do we grieve over the defaming of God's name and God's ways. Do we have a heart with Habakkuk? Or are we under the pronouncement and the judgment of Habakkuk? Are we grieved by the defaming of God's name and of his ways? We have many things that we are upset about. But when was the last time we got upset when God was dishonored? When his law was not kept, when his law was paralyzed, when, when, God, when what God said is good and righteous was ignored and we marched our own way. One commentator I read made this statement that if Christians do not weep over the lostness of society, then there is no hope for society. If Christians do not weep over the lostness of society, then there is no hope for society. Do we weep over the sins in our culture? Do we weep over the lostness and rebellion of those around us? Terrorism, mass murder, slavery, human trafficking, racial and economic oppression, political unrest, upheaval, spiritual deception. There's a smorgasbord today on the internet of all sorts of spiritual avenues, new age mysticism, also just general apathy. Are we grieved by the spiritual deception that is out there? Are we grieved by the moral insanity that our world has become consumed with, with gender confusion, sexual rebellion, abortion on demand, moral insanity, the taking of human life? Are we grieved by the social disintegration that there is around us, the breaking up of the family, the isolation that social media produces, the epidemics we have of depression and addiction, if Christians don't weep over the lostness of their society, there's no hope. Habakkuk is grieving. God, how long won't you do something? So do these things, I think the first rebuke is, do we have a heart like Habakkuk that is at least at a minimum grieved over the lostness of our 
society and those around us and even those that we see in our own hearts. Are we grieved by these things? So that's Habakkuk's complaint. But now look at God's response. God answers Habakkuk, but it ain't what he was looking for. God, God answers back Habakkuk, but it was not what he was hoping to hear. What's God doing? He says, I'm going to do something. That's good. Hey, look among the nations and see. Wonder, be astounded. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. Next time somebody says God's doing something, you won't believe it. Think about Habakkuk. That may not be a great thing. <laughs> like I say, oh, God is able to do a, a far more than you can think or imagine. God can do amazing things. This is what God's doing. I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. But he doesn't mean in a good way. He doesn't mean in a good way. What God is doing is he's raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation. And you read the description of them. They're dreaded and fearsome. Horses are faster than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. They just go in and they just ravage the place. They just tear the place apart. Horsemen, they proudly press on, eagles swift to devour. They come for violence. Their faces are all faced for. They have a oneness of mind to gather captives. They, 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 fortresses have no, uh, no defense against them. They, the masses of them pile up earth. They just march over any sort of fortification. They sweep by like the wind. Just blows along and captures them. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Who are these Chaldeans? They are a brutal and violent people. And God has raised them up to bring judgment upon his own people. That was not the answer Habakkuk was looking for. God, aren't you going to do something? And God says, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. I'm raising up the Chaldeans to, to march in and, and enact my judgment upon my people, and they're going to be carried off. It's exactly what we see happen with the two tribes of Israel. Judah is taken away into captivity, the Babylonian captivity. Now, Habakkuk has his mind blown by the turn of these events. And next week, we're going to get into his complaint, his second complaint. This is the way the, the book of Habakkuk is laid out. Complaint, God answers. Habakkuk's like, whoa, hold up. And another complaint. Uh, God, are you sure? <laughs> Look at the Chaldeans. We don't want that. They're, they're, we're unrighteous, but man, they're far more unrighteous. And so he's going to go on into that complaint, and we're going to get into that next week. So there's a little teaser for getting more into the astonishing uh, facts of what God is going to do, the astonishing truth of what God is going to do. But here's a few takeaways just from this morning. We often wrongly think that because God isn't doing our thing, God is doing nothing. We often wrongly think that just because God isn't doing our thing, it means he's doing nothing. But just because God isn't doing your thing, doesn't mean God is doing nothing. God is at work. Our catechism this morning, the providence of God, he upholds all things. God is constantly at work and he's achieving his purposes. Will it work out the way that we want it to? No, it will not. And this is what Habakkuk finds out. But it doesn't mean that just because it doesn't go the way and God doesn't do your thing, that God is doing nothing. He's doing his Work. Now, this is good news. This is good news for us because here's mainly God has done something. The first thing that God has done is he has sent his son to redeem humanity. God has done something. Jesus Christ was sent. Live the righteous life God's people should be living and they fail to do. 
He lives the righteous life they should live. And then he suffers God's wrath. Instead of the Chaldeans coming in and wiping us out for our sin, Christ himself incarnates, puts on flesh, becomes a man, and he bears the wrath of the Chaldeans. He bears the wrath appointed by God towards sinners upon himself. Christ comes, lives righteously, dies a sacrificial substitutionary death for God's people so that we can be reconciled to God. God has done something. God is yet going to do something. The bar of justice, when Habakkuk is concerned that justice is perverted, God will do justly. God will accomplish his, he is going to do something. There is a day coming when all evil will be punished. There is a day coming when God, the bar of justice, will be accounted for. We will all have an account at the bar of justice. Those who are in Christ will hear, that one is mine. The justice they deserved, I took upon myself. They are mine. But for those who are not his and the wrongdoing that has gone on in the world that seemingly gone, has gone unpunished, how many cases can you look around the world and say, this is a wrong that happened, it was never accounted for. No one escapes the justice of God. God is going to do something. The bar of justice is there. But furthermore, God is currently doing something. He is working his good eternal purposes. God has done something, the cross. God is going to do something, the bar of justice. God is currently doing something, working his good purposes. Don't wrongly think that just because God isn't doing your thing, that he's doing nothing. So in all of this activity of God, what is he calling for in us? He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to repentance. Make sure that if there are areas in your life that would bring about the objection of the prophet Habakkuk that we aren't entertaining them. If the prophet Habakkuk's condemnation of you is right, repent. Repent. It is not too late to turn from charging into sin. Are we guilty, as we started out saying, are we guilty of working harder to fit God into our desires or conforming our lives to fit God and his desires? Which do you give more energy to? How can I talk God into being on my team? And how can I make sure that I'm on, I hate to use that, team analogy's dumb, but anyway, how can I make sure that I conform to God's will and God's way? Which do you give more energy to? How can I conceive of my life in a way that God would, 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 would come along with me? Or how can I order and structure my life that I might go along with God? Repentance. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to hope in his just future. God is sovereign over the universe. And sometimes we forget the opening statement of Jesus in his passage in the Great Commission when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. But it's all empowered by this reality Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge, and so we ought to repent, and we ought to hope in his just future. God is working his eternal purposes, and he's calling us to place our hope, our eager expectation and confidence in the good future he is working for us. No evil will escape his justice, and those who are his will share in Christ's glorious reward by God's grace and mercies. Therefore, we have hope. 
In all this activity of God's, what is he calling for us? In us, repentance, to hope in his just future, and to faithfulness. He's calling us to faithfulness. The knowledge and confidence of what God has done and what he's promised to do now motivates us to work fearlessly and faithfully. We can say no to the enticements of sin. We can say yes to costly love because we dwell secure in the grasp of our sovereign and good God. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. When we read a book like Habakkuk, give us, if nothing else, God, a glimpse of your majesty. We live, honestly, such small lives, and we often put you down on our level. God, you are grand. You are majestic. You dwell in unapproachable light. You are eternal life in and of itself. God, give us eyes to see that we might repent and worship. And God, help us this morning that repentance would happen, that hope in your eternal good future would happen, that faithfulness to what you've put in front of us would happen because we are rejoicing in the God who has done something, sending your son to save us from our sins. You are the God who will consummate all things at the end of the age. And because we know that, you are the God who right now is working for our ultimate good and for your surpassing glory. Give us eyes to see it and hearts rejoicing, repenting and rejoicing in it in this place this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.